everyone. We're back again with episode 7 in our video series. I hope you guys are finding our videos educative. Episode 7 features Lee Chinitz. Lee studied physics as an undergraduate and graduate student. He then went to Japan to do his postdoctorate in physics. When he came back to the US, he didn't want to pursue a career in academia, so he started looking for a way to combine an interest in physics with an interest in technology. This led him to a job in a wireless technology research lab at Motorola. This was his entry into the communications industry and it has been his career ever since. I think it's interesting that Lee made a change in his field of work right out of education. He talks about this transition and his first interview. When a lot of us make career transitions and apply for roles outside of our fields, we ask ourselves, why would they hire me? Lee took it one step further and asked the person who interviewed him. The answer is surprising and very intelligible. He also talks about what it means to strive to be on top of your game at any job that you are in. He's certainly the most knowledgeable person I know and his answers to our questions are very interesting. They make you think outside the box when you introspect on your own career. Enjoy the interview, you guys. And as usual, let us know what you think in the comments. So apart from the introduction that we just gave, we've been working together for the past five years at Optoscope and Aspirant. Lee is one of the most knowledgeable persons I know, not just in Wi-Fi or tech, but he knows millennial lingo, a lot of other things. And, you know, it teaches me about millennial stuff. Um, because I'm way behind. That being said, uh, welcome to the EITF project, Lee. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us and thank you for agreeing to do this interview. I think it's going to be fun. Okay, so I'm going to start with what was your first job and what is one piece of knowledge that you took away from that job that you carry with you today? So my first job was, was with Motorola. I was in a research group for what was known as land mobile products. I learned it almost immediately. So I had just come from doing you know, graduate work and then postgraduate work in physics. And one way or another, I ended up with an interview at Motorola and met a whole kinds of people and it seemed to be going fairly well. And then I spent the end of the day, so the last half hour with the the head of the, all the research labs, who was the one who had invited me out. And I said to him, so why would you hire me exactly? I said, I met all these people and they're all electrical engineers. And the furthest away that anybody uh, from here comes is from like, I don't know, Indiana. You know, everyone was from Illinois. They were all from the University of Illinois. It was a very, very homogeneous sort of group. And I said, well, why would you hire me? And he said, you know, this industry changes every four years. He said, if you can stick it out for four years, you'll be at about the same level as everybody else. And I remember thinking, what a great answer and what a good way to think about hiring people. I had had a lot of experience right up to that point of people interviewing for jobs, you know, meeting people, having really good conversations. And then they would say, yeah, and we're really looking for somebody who can program this DSP, you know, using C++ or something. And I was like, really? Okay. So you know, they had these very, very specific requirements. And his requirement was people who can think and people who are willing to learn will be valuable to the organization. I respect that view to this very day. I thought that was really great. You talk about learnings and stuff. Has there been anything that you've had to unlearn across this career? You know, I did find at some point that being too dogmatic about how you wanted things to be done and trying to prescribe very specifically how, how things should 
work can not necessarily be helpful. It is true that you, you know, you have to learn to work with people the way that they work, not the way that you work. Obviously, how you work matters, but in order to be sort of successful at the whole thing, you have to understand people, their motivations, how they work, and then kind of work with them. And so that's one thing. I think when I was when I was younger, I thought it was very noble to have these very rigid attitudes about how uh, how you should behave, you know, how you should treat people, that that sort of thing. And and I still think that that's true, but you can't necessarily force other people to, to behave in a certain way. And if you do want to get things done, you need to kind of understand how they work and, and work with them. That's, that's one thing when I was at Motorola and I was learning the communications industry and kind of going through that whole migration of technologies that everybody knows from 1G to 2G to 3G. I remember being in some very early 3G meetings and the people there talking about how great this was going to be because they would give all these examples of, you be walking through a mall and then your phone will send you a message and tell you that there's like an ad, you know, or a, a coupon at the store that you just walked by and everything like that. And I remember listening to all this and thinking, I don't want any of this. It's like, this <laughs> sounds horrible. And it was actually very funny because I remember when I joined Motorola and I was in this research lab, all these really sort of senior researchers, they would never carry a cell phone or anything like that. And they would, you know, talk to them about it and they'd say things like, I don't want anyone bothering me while I'm walking down the street, you know, you know, Know, leave me a message at work or something. So I, I remember thinking, oh, you guys are so like sort of curmudgeonly and old. And then I remember like getting to this 3G thing and thinking, I don't want to be pestered this way. This is horrible. And then having this feeling like this technology is so much more important than that. We should be able to do all this great stuff. And, and every now and then running across companies that were working on building communications systems that were supporting, you know, underserved populations or people who didn't have communications. And I thought, this is great. This is what I should be doing. And then saying that to one of these guys at one point and him not just saying like, oh, I agree with you. What he said was none of these communication technologies ever get built unless somebody will pay for them. So he said, actually, it's fine if all these communications are really developed for whatever teenage girls to chat with each other or whatever it turns out to be. Because if that will pay for them and drive down the cost, then we can use them for the benefit of kind of the wider population. I remember that was another one where I remember having to switch my thinking around, you know, I, I originally thought like, oh, so much of this is wasted, but it's not really that it's wasted, right? It's that it has to be developed for one reason or another, and then you can make use of it for other other purposes anyway. So anyway, those two, how about those? Okay, I think that's a very different answer. Um, <laughs> next question, what was the most significant turning point in your career that helped you get to where you are today? Yeah, actually still again at the beginning, kind of academic career I mentioned before, at some point I felt like the future that I was looking at um, was narrow. That's not to criticize people who, who go into that sort of narrow space. You know, that's fine. But I think for me, it just felt like everything was heading towards one place where people were working toward, you know, one specific path. It felt uncomfortable to me. And I thought I would like to, you know, go somewhere where it, it looks like there's kind of more opportunity to do more different things. And that's when I kind of made that transition and ended up at that interview, as I was mentioning before, at Marola and that guy. So that was the, by far, far the biggest transition because it was 
going from a, a very specific direction to a completely different direction. And in the United States, it's not true. I had come back from Japan and uh, it's not true in Japan, actually. A lot of students in Japan will do the same kind of thing and then end up working for, you know, Mitsubishi or something. You know, those companies have a much more consistent attitude of it's fine. We'll just hire in young people who have been trained and, you know, are able to learn and then we'll teach them what they need to know. Uh, in the U.S., I, I think, at least my experience was, it's still very rare. You have to find that person who has that attitude. And I think the attitude, at least in the U.S., is much more like they're looking for people who've gone through job training already, right? It's like, I want to hire you in to do this specific thing I need done. And so finding that guy at Motorola and kind of making that transition to me was, a, you know, that was a very big deal. And I will say that after that happened, I got for several years, a constant stream of phone calls from people that I had been in physics with who were basically asking the question like, how'd you make that transition? What did you do? I don't know. That was the big, the big change for me. That's nice. So for someone who's entering the industry, right, and who hopes to have a similar career path because you've been there since the onset of communication protocols and all of that, 1G, 2G, what advice would you give them for someone who's entering the space new as we speak? So I have an unusual, it seems to me anyway, sort of an unusual path into this area. So I certainly wouldn't recommend that, you know, that's the ideal way of getting into it. I think there's a lot of opportunity, depending even on kind of what your specific interest is. You can press me on this if you want to, but I'm going to dodge your question a little bit and just answer it by saying, I mean, I have kids, right, who are roughly at this age of, you know, entering field. And I still think that the right thing to do is to follow things that you are interested in, learn to, you know, how to learn. That's a required thing, right? That you're not going to learn a thing and then sit and do that thing for the next 25 years. Because again, I guess to continue using my same point before, I mean, if the field changes every four years, then whatever you just learned is going to be added date pretty quickly. And so, you know, you need to kind of have that mindset, but I think it's a really good idea to, to know what you like, know what you like to spend your time doing so that while you're having to spend time doing it at work, it at least seems fun to you. From a communications field point of view, like I said, there are so many different things that you could possibly be. You know, we, Andini and I work with people who know just, you know, an inordinate amount about stuff that at least I know nothing about. You know, you'll talk to guys who are deep, deep into uh, wireless protocols, but, you know, are helpless at understanding how to orient an antenna. There's a lot of pieces to this whole thing and having the interest in at least understanding all those things, learning about them when you need to is is the important thing. I think I got the title for my episode, Learn How to Learn. <laughs> <laughs> It's right. I mean, don't you think? I mean, you've learned an incredible amount about at least our toolkit. That stuff, I don't think you've had the opportunity to yet to find out how, how much it would translate to, you know, if you were to go somewhere else. But my feeling it was is it would translate incredibly well. But <clears throat> the most important thing that would translate is the fact that you're the kind of person who can come in and not know how to ping. And, you know, after a couple of years, be the kind of person that essentially everybody says, well, we can't solve this problem. I guess it's time to ask Nandini, right? I mean, you're the you know, subject matter expert. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, climb to the top of the mountain and find Nandini there, right? So it's, you know, that's very impressive. And it's, 
that's what I think people should aspire to. At least yeah, in I, my calls with Lee, I don't really do anything. Um, <laughs> when he, when you know, he asks me for help, it's usually like, you know, just watch what I'm doing and okay, so, everything will just work. Um, so let's let's talk about that just for a second, just in case it's helpful to anybody, right? All of what we do, people spend a lot of time by themselves, right? But even now in software, you know, there's this whole thing about paired software development, right? I think the reason for that, no matter how little you think you do, having a person there to bounce ideas off of is incredibly helpful and important. And you can't bounce ideas off of somebody who isn't open to new ideas, right? If that person can only do one thing, then sure, you can ask them to do that thing. But you need a person who will sit with you and look at it something that you can't figure out and say, oh, okay, there's that or whatever. I mean, it's it's incredibly helpful. And that's why I think, you know, like somebody with that let's say your skill set is, you know, that that's incredibly translatable to anywhere, just because as we've been discussing, if you are the kind of person who says, it's okay, I don't know everything, but I'm happy to try and learn everything or learn something, then that is probably the most valuable thing in a career. That was my answer to all the questions Fanny asked me in my first interview. <laughs> I don't, I don't know the answers to any of the questions you're asking me, but I'm enthusiastic to learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear this all the time, right? People are like, the one thing I want to hear you say is you don't know, say you don't know, it. You never hear it. Okay, I, I'm going to shift paradigms a little bit. I believe, and I think you do a lot of this as well, that the work you do outside of your 40-hour work week is as important as what you do within that 40-hour work week for your career. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give someone who's looking to, you know, sow the seeds of that extraneous work? I don't think my answer is particularly different from what I said before, actually. I mean, ideally, I think, you know, if you're, if you're lucky, what you do when you're working is similar to what you would want to do anyway, right? So like in my case, you know, I found some problems that interested me kind of outside the realm of work. The act of going through and, and trying to figure out how to solve those problems kind of fed right back in to stuff I do at work. I mean, I can give you an example, right? So I like to ride my bicycle, right? Uh, so I rode bike. And uh, there was a time when I started to ride more heavily around where I live. And I found a single route that I would take and I would ride it every time I went out back and forth, same, same route all the time. And my wife said to me, hey, you should meet some of my friends. They like to ride their bikes too. And maybe you guys can talk about what different routes are. Well, I think I even said out loud, like, I don't want to talk to any of your friends. I, it started me thinking like, that is true, right? And like, why do I ride the same thing all the time? And let's say I wanted another route. How would I do that? You know, what would be a good way to do it? Again, it was early days of web, but there were, it was slightly later than we were talking about before. And now there were some tools out there where people were using to, to, to do route guidance, right? From here to there. It occurred to me that what I, all I wanted was something similar to that, but it wasn't here to there. It was from a place back to the same place, but in a loop, just going through the process of figuring out what to do, you know, it, it, it introduced me to the world of databases, the fact that there's databases out there, the fact that there are people build uh, APIs that are public that allow you to access those databases. I originally wrote some some code in some old languages, but you know, over time, you know, I was able to sort of convert it into kind of more modern stuff. So I had to pick up a couple of computer languages to do it. So and it was fun, right? I mean, for me, it was really fun. But again, as as you know, Nandini, a lot of that stuff just fed right back into the skill set that I use at work, which I found incredibly valuable. You know, it all came from the fact that I was just messing around with problems outside of work. 
work. So again, I, I just think it's a good idea to do things that you enjoy doing, especially if you've made that part of what you do when you chose what you wanted to do for your work. It's very likely that those two things are going to find some connection. Curiosity is just the beginning, right? But at times, a common thing that you end up hearing is work-life balance, but everyone seems to talk about it. How do you ensure you keep a good balance between work and hmm. life? I have an answer to that question. I'm not sure it's an answer for everybody. If I were not married, I would be horrible at this. I would probably work constantly. So for me, it's that I'm married. I have kids. I know that I want to spend time with my family and they're very, uh, well, my wife is certainly very clear about, you know, like we want to go do these things. For me, that's it. It's knowing that it's important and it's listening to them say like, hey, we'd like to go hiking. You know, that's what I want to do as well. I mean, I want to do that with you guys, right? Yes, I may have some thing that is bugging me. And if no one were around to stop me, I, you know, even though it's the middle of the day on Sunday, I might sit around and, and you know, work on that thing. But realizing that I can do it later and realizing that it's important to spend time with my family is really the way I do it. I, I, I know for a fact that I would not be good at it. Um, I'm horrible at it when I travel. So if I go on work travel, I will work 20 hours a day. Yeah, I feel like I've traveled quite a bit too, but I've never seen any of those cities. <laughs> yeah. So for, for someone who's just entered the industry or not just entered the industry for a new employee in a company, what can they do to feel heard and to bring their ideas into a room full of experienced people? That is a, that is a, I mean, certainly a good question. I'm the kind of person who, when I join a new company, tends to feel guilty almost immediately that I'm not contributing. I, I kind of work very hard to try to come up to speed. I think that's certainly one thing from my perspective, right? It's don't necessarily show up and say, and here's all my ideas about how you should do what you're doing better, because whether or not you're right, it's certainly a good idea to give a certain amount of respect to the people who have been doing whatever it is they've been doing for a while. And, and then, you know, if after a while you feel like maybe there are things that could be doing, that they could be doing better, then it's, it's appropriate to say it, but it's certainly a good idea to certainly learn everything you can, you know, have enough humility to accept that they may be doing things in a way that you know you don't understand yet or something like that but then to you know present those ideas that you may have you know in a way that is not confrontational as much as possible but as a suggestion of you know something that you've seen maybe done in other places one of the things that i was always very surprised at was when i graduated from college a lot of people who are fairly smart would immediately go into management consulting. And all of a sudden they were like straight out of college and they were like consulting and they were going to these companies and telling them how they should run their companies. I remember thinking, they don't know how to, <laughs> what are they talking about? It's like, they've never done this. They have no idea what they're talking about. But I have read enough stuff, you know, seen not only management consultants, but sort of more psychology where people talk about this and it's difficult to see mistakes that you were making. It's easier to see mistakes that other that other people are making. So it's not unfair, right, for for somebody to come in with fresh eyes and say, "I've I've looked at this, I've I've watched what's going on, and you know, I think that you know we may be missing uh, something when we do X Y Z. All those things make sense, but I I certainly think that you should spend enough time to make sure that you do understand what's being done, and to the extent that there is an answer to why why it's being done before you would go in and offer your own suggestion. I think this is a good time to tell you that us young people in the company learned one thing about you by just observing is when you bring ideas to the table, you always back it up with data. So 
Oh, well, that's good. I'm glad that uh, glad you said that. From a management standpoint, how do you look at transition from being an ind- individual contributor to being becoming a manager? It's it's a little bit back to what I said before, right? I mean, I think you have to do what you like, and you do have to know if you want to become a manager. It is very different behavior from being an individual contributor. And you know, if you're the kind of person who just really enjoys getting filling your brain with some code and then you know kind of thinking your way through it and you know being stuck there for whatever two days until you solve whatever problem and it's really fun then you have to know that about yourself as opposed to when you hear good managers they will say things like i get the most enjoyment or at least i get a lot of enjoyment out of watching my team succeed um and those are two very different things right if you want to to do that and you do feel like you know you want to lead a team and and have that team succeed the important thing then is understanding other people's motivations is incredibly important. I've, I worked for one manager really that I think did this very well. Um, I actually told him at one point, hey, if you guys have uh, any openings, I would come work for you. It doesn't matter to me what you're doing. <laughs> I'd actually just come work for you because he took all that stuff incredibly seriously. He would do those assessment tests. Roughly what they're intended to tell you is how the people in your team are motivated. And he would say like, oh, here's your results. And then he was like, so it's important for me because what I learned was you are motivated by X, Y, Z, whatever. And then he would try to incorporate that into how he dealt with you. And it wasn't in a transparent, like, oh, you know, I'm going to do this, but he just seemed to kind of try and absorb that into how he, how he worked with you. Now I'm only one person, so I I can't, maybe he only was really good at me. I don't know. I mean, maybe he did other people, but it it did feel like everyone else in the group just really liked him and enjoyed working for him. And, And again, that was his thing. He, he didn't like you. I mean, he was a, a technology guy and everything, but he, I never really saw him spend a lot of time. He knew enough to understand what we were talking about, but you know, he didn't say like, oh, well, you guys are messing up. So I'm going to sit down and code this myself. He would, his role was that, you know, I'm going to help this group be successful. And he was the kind of guy who, when you would get together with him, his attitude was, his job was to make you able to do your job, right? That was his job. So more or less something like an empowerment. Yes. I mean, there's empowerment in terms of like (laughs) making sure that they don't feel like they have to come to you for everything, but also if there's something blocking them, right? And it could be anything, right? I mean, maybe they're spending half of their time trying to work on something with, you know, HR because they have a sick kid or something like that, right? And they can't focus, right? Tell me about it and let's figure out if I can help you get that thing done. So it was all about that for him. And and then if his team was successful to him, that was a feeling of great accomplishment. He didn't have to have written, you know, any code. I guess my next question, I'm, I'm moving more to like an organization questions, but I don't know if you've heard, but the employment space has a new nickname. They're calling it the great resignation. My, my question is, what do you think is the primary motivation for an employee to stay or leave an organization? People are motivated by different things. And I think that's, that's a clear one, right? So some people are motivated by money. You know, some people are just motivated by challenge. Some people are motivated motivated by recognition. I'm sure there's many others. And I think it's important that people get what they're looking for. And if they don't get what they're looking for where they are, they will go somewhere where they can get what they're looking for. If on a great resignation phase, people are feeling like they they can, right? They can look around and find what they're looking for. It's sort of a combination of, uh, you know, how managers treat people in terms of, you know, recognizing what they're doing and also what you're actually doing at work and whether or not it fits with something that is important to you. What, I'm, what I hear about the great resignation, and it, it even resonates for me, um, you know, a bit is 
people say things like, well, people are looking for more meaning in their work. You know, may, that may be true, but no matter what it is, I think it's whatever people are are looking for that would make it so that at the end of the day, they didn't feel like, well, I just spent the whole day doing something I didn't want to do. And now I can do this, right? At least they would say like, well, this was a good day. You know, I accomplished a bunch of stuff and it's an even better day if I accomplished a bunch of stuff. And then whatever the right recognition was, you know, was given to me, right? Like people want to feel recognized for what they do and they want what they do to be important to at least them and maybe to others. And if they think they can get it, then they'll go get that. In your experience, now you, the technology space keeps evolving on a day-to-day basis as new tools have come out right new expectations from your customer base my question is a two part question the first question is as an employee how do you keep tab of what's happening out there in the market in terms of competition in terms of digitization and how do you stay relevant and second what do you think or what do you expect an organization to do in response to faster changes in uh, the digital economy. Well, let's see. On the first one, there, I think I might have said this to Nandini before. I, you know, I've, I've worked in a number of different companies, and I kind of feel like in every company, somebody said at least one thing that I remember. At one of the places that I worked, I remember a guy saying to me, I, we were talking about, we were in the neighborhood of like the VP of sales. And he just turned to me and he said, well, you leak. He said, you know, everyone's in sales. And I remember thinking, oh yeah, probably everybody really is in sales. And I think first part, the answer to the first part of your question is everybody does need exposure to customers uh, one way or another, actually. You know, if you're in an industry where you're selling things to customers, that it's a good idea to have some exposure to them. Not everybody can be in sales, despite what that guy said, because I do think sales is a skill set. As far as the second part of your question, how should companies deal with the, I think your question was how should we deal with the sort of accelerating cycle of technology changes? That is a really good question. The reason I think that people get stuck is that installed bases require maintenance. If you've got products in the field, if you've been successful, now you have to deal with customers that have those. How do you then also spend time, you know, working on new new technologies and figuring out how to incorporate those new technologies into the products that you have? You need to know when to cannibalize your own business, right? You need to know when to say, we're going to do this. So I don't have a great answer other than, you know, it, it takes people with enough courage to do that. Not a good answer to your question, but it's a good question. And I think it's a good question for people to think about, you know, when they, when they have a company or when they're part of the management of a company where they're, you know, at those strategic meetings. See, to your first part, I'm thinking about my first demo that I ever did. I mean, I, I was told that, you know, everybody's in sales. So I went to do this, you know, I went to the customer and I did the demo and I said, oh, this all works great now, but these are the bugs. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's the reason not everybody can be in sales, or at least when people are asked to uh, go talk with customers that they should actually, there should be a little bit of discussion. My, my same experience there was on the other side, I was back at Motorola when I, after I was in the research lab, I was asked to join the, what was called the government relations office in Washington, DC. And all that work was all about, you know, regulatory changes and, you know, wireless companies, as you know, oh, spectrum is the lifeblood of the wireless industry, right? So it was considered, you know, extremely important to constantly engage with the FCC. And we would do that. But once you became one of those guys in DC, then you were no longer particularly interesting to the FCC guys. You know, you were helpful, but for them, it was cool, cooler 
to have engineers come from the company and talk about some specific things. So we would bring in engineers. And the mistake that was always made was you go in and there was some particular regulatory proceeding that was going on. You bring in some engineer, some hotshot engineer from the company and sit them down in front of one of the commissioners of the FCC. And, uh, and the commissioner, of course, had an agenda, which was to figure out what they could do in this regulatory area. And so they would say, well, so you would come in and you'd say like, Motorola thinks X, Y, Z. And then the, the commissioner would say something like, we get that, but you know, wouldn't it be possible to do whatever? And engineers always do the same thing. They were always like, well, I mean, maybe you could probably do that. And as soon as you did that, all of those of us who were like working the issue in DC would be like, you know, because they had just killed the whole, you know, sort of strategy that you'd been put together, because then they would say, well, your own engineer said it might be possible to do whatever. So there is something to having, uh, to understanding what kind of a strategy is, even when you're dealing with the customer, or when you're dealing with regulators, or whatever it might be, but it's still very useful. Yeah, I, I mean, I was taken to lunch so fast after I spoke about <laughs> You know, I, I read this quote from Albert Einstein. He said, you can't solve a problem on the same level that it was created. you got to rise above it to solve it. So when an organization looks to innovate, what do you think they should think about before they move down that path? And secondly, what can they do to mitigate the risks involved with innovation? That's a great question. I think it's maybe, you know, similar to Kartik's question. I mean, these are really good questions about like, how can you be an excellent company? And there's a lot of, you know, business books about that. I, you know, my answer to that question would be to always start from the problem that you're trying to solve, not from the technology that you already have. Biggest difference between sort of really successful technology companies and, and less successful ones, the idea of, of a company being either engineering driven or market driven. So if you're marketing driven, you're really focused on a problem that you're trying to solve. Solve, and then you see what technology you can apply to it. If you're engineering driven, it's like, hey, we developed this thing. Let's go find out a place where we can use it, right? You know, I guess my very high level answer to your question is to make sure that you keep a focus on the problem that you're trying to solve. Being able to plan the activities of the company in such a way that you keep your keep an eye both on the existing businesses, and then uh, on the, the technologies that you're trying to adopt in order to, to move forward. And what I'm, trying, what I'm reminded of is what I was saying before about being the kind of company that is open to cannibalizing its own previous business or, or technology, right? You, you need to be able to say, we are going to be able to make this transition. And that may mean that we have a whole bunch of skilled, you know, people who are skilled in an area that we no longer need, right? But, you know, if your strategy or around bringing people in was not like those person, this person can do that one thing, but it's like, this is a person who is, you know, able to learn. We're all going to learn and we're going to go this way, right? So you can bring the business along. I mean, I think that's maybe one of the risks you might be thinking about, right? Of sort of stranding, you know, a lot of capable people without something to do. But I, I think that if what you're focused on is bringing in people who are able to learn, you don't strand them, right? You, you bring them to, to the new place that you're going. Personally, I know everyone wants to start at some point of time in their life because they're passionate about something. In your opinion, what are the words of encouragement would you give someone? And what are some of the words of caution you would give someone who's wanting to embark on this journey of starting? 
starting something on his own? I'll tell you, you know, from the point of view of somebody who hasn't successfully started, you know, his own business, what I would say, you know, number one, I would say, if you've got an idea, you know, you should absolutely pursue it because that's what I was saying before, you know, even what, even if it doesn't work out in terms of, of being a new, uh, a new business, you, you learn a, a, a lot, not only in terms of all of the process that you have to go through. I mean, it's just, you know, there's an amazing amount of learning just in terms of like, oh, I had to start, you know, an LLC and, you know, I had to whatever, you know, create a business plan and, you know, learn the ins and outs of, you know, the venture capital landscape in this area. I mean, whatever, all, all that kind of stuff, which is maybe just sort of interesting and fun, but whatever your idea was, you probably wanted to build it to a certain point where you could demo it to people or, you know, uh, deploy it at some level, right? So you ended up on your own or, you know, with, with some with some partners learning new technology pulling new technologies together you know making something that works that's that can be just sort of very gratifying all by itself so i think it's a great idea from the point of view of sort of starting something though let me just give you my experience it's not necessarily an answer your question but i'll give you my experience when you you have an idea you know you you do all the things that i said you know you come up with business plans you talk to you know um people to get their feeling about whether or not this is a good idea or not. You've, you've decided it's all good. And then you maybe you go out for funding. When you go out for funding, at least what I found was if you don't have enough either resources behind you or confidence in the idea to, I call it jump off the deep end, right? And say like, you know, I'm going to do this 100% of the time, then the feedback will tend to be and, you know, it may be different depending on the, the age of the person, but the feedback I think will tend to be, at least was what our experience was, um, well, if you don't have enough confidence in your own idea right, to quit your job and do this full time, then why should I have confidence in your idea? So, you know, I think that I think is, it, that's a difficult transition point to get through. And so to me, it seemed like a lot of the startup world was built around the idea that it was going to be sort of very young people without either families or homes, or maybe they're living in, you know, with their parents or something like that. And they, you know, are able to, you know, just kind of work on this for, you know, a couple of years and then, you know, kind of kick it off. I think it can be quite difficult to, to get through that little transition period of like, I think this is a good idea, but while it's not able to sustain itself, I need to, you know, have a day job. So that can be, that can be very difficult. Or, you know, of course, if you serial entrepreneurs have a different, you know, situation where, you know, they can have whatever they want because they've got a whole bunch of money, right? So if you've got a lot of money as well, you can do whatever you want. That being said, I still think it's a really, it's a good process to go through, you know, just, you know, first of all, you could be successful. And, and even if you're not, you know, there's a lot that you that you end up learning just in terms of well a what it takes to do it and b i think there's something to going and talking uh with a bunch of people about an idea that you came up with and you want to you know even if you want to make it you know into something but the first thing you have to do is have enough confidence to go out and tell people here's my idea what do you think of it and be willing to sit and listen to people to say you know having some people say like, oh, that's, that's not a good idea. Or, you know, I've heard this idea before, or these people are the same. That's, you know, always the response you'll get, right? Well, isn't that the same as that idea? And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a good thing to go through. I think I'm coming to the end of the interview. So I want to ask a question that I've been, I mean, I think most of these questions I've asked a lot of other folks too, but this is one of the main questions that we're trying to answer. How would you define success? Really good question. I feel a little bit like I'm going to end up 
repeating myself though, the idea that if you can find something that feeds your, your psyche while you're at work, that is about as good as, you know, you can do, you know, I think that is at least one measure of success. And then I guess there's a couple other things, right? One is it'd be nice to, I think, sort of successful if people that you encounter would like to encounter you again, <laughs> one way or another, uh, you know, that, you know, you feel like you're able to be helpful to people, you know, for no particular reason other than that, you know, you enjoy helping people or being with people. And so that later on in your career, you, you know, you run across these people again, and and it's a good thing, right? It's success, success, successful when, you know, you're happy. And the fact that you are reasonably happy and doing what you're doing is making people around you happy so that i think is um, i don't know that's a good situation to be in that was brilliant so thank you for doing this interview and uh, i Thanks. think i liked a lot of your answers because mostly because i think i've worked with you for a long <laughs> time and i could relate quite a bit but i think a lot of people out there will relate as well oh, i hope so we'll find out all right